Fire. I'm here to start a new series. The new series is called Keeping It Hot. Um, and uh, Brittany put this together, and she's awesome. In fact, when, when she texted me the, the picture, the image, I said, that's great. You have a green mug up there. That's really cool. And uh, she said, well, that's actually your mug. I snapped a picture of it in the office. <laughs> and I really should have that here. And you know what? I, I know that the green mug is distracting, but for this series, I think I'm going to bring my green mug out here starting next week. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about uh, this. We're going to be digging into the book of Colossians, line by line, uh, and uh, th this is kind of an introduction. So I am going to get very professorial today, and this is the introduction. We're not even going to look at Colossians until next week. Now here's why. If you understand why the Apostle Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians in a place called Coloss, then you'll have a better understanding as we go line by line what in the world he was talking about. And here's a map of it. We'll take a closer look of this and I'll tell you a little bit more about Coloss in just a second. Because again, it's going to help us to understand why Paul wrote to the Colossians, by the way, a place he had never been yet. He was in prison when he wrote this letter to the Colossians. Uh, so um, if we understand the basis of this letter, I think we're going to all get much more out of it as we go line by line. Now, this is the type of preaching, I, I enjoy both types of preaching, topical, we do topical series here. But also from time to time, there's a type of preaching called exegetical preaching. It is simply, you take a book of the Bible, go line by line, and you perform what's called an exegesis analysis. Exegesis is where you take the script, pull it into view, and you extract what is going on in context of not only the whole Bible, but the book and that chapter. So this prevents a couple of things. In fact, my friend Gunnar up in Iceland at Lofstofan preaches that way. He only, he only does books of the Bible. And he says he doesn't do topical stuff because he says in, in that way, he will never uh, take basically what is important to him, pet topics, if you will, and preach only on those things. Because he says the whole, the whole Bible needs to be read. And hopefully you've all at least read through it once. And if you've never done it, let me challenge you. Do it. Uh, there are plenty of great tools online to help you to do that. Uh, one of the tools we use here at New Promise Church is the Bible app, version. Um, in fact, uh, you, uh, Curtis just downloaded it on his phone. If you go to version and don't forget to, to turn on uh, the uh, location services because you go to events, and the first event that pops up, New Promise Church. You click on it, and you can hit save so that you can... We'll look at the notes later. So all the notes 
that we'll be looking at today are on the Bible app, which is very, very cool. But if you're not into electronics, that's cool too. Make sure you, you scribble down some notes. It is very well known that as you scribble notes, as you write uh, down things, uh, things that hit your heart and spirit, you're more likely to remember them and you're more likely to be able to effectively apply them in your life. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about Colossians. Colossians is one of my favorite books of the Bible because it's very scientific in nature. And it, it, Colossians has a lot to say about those of us who are traveling or journeying on this side of eternity in these last days. Because with every passing day that goes by, we're getting closer and closer to the time when Jesus is going to return. Amen to that? All right, cool. Oh, I'm preaching good because I got a good amen out of you. That's good. Well, all scripture can help us to navigate uh, through life uh, as what Jesus calls an overcomer. Uh, where have we heard that? We hear that a lot in scripture, especially from Jesus himself. He tells us to be an overcomer, especially in the Revelation letters. Uh, but there's something unique about the epistle uh, to the Colossians that makes this book absolutely essential reading for the era in which we live today. Today, lots of crazy stuff going on. And if you uh, get drawn in too much into it, you'll get discouraged. My, my challenge to you is to focus now as a church on the book of Colossians and we're gonna dig into why Paul wrote this. Well, before we dig into any of the context, which we will begin to do next week, we have to set the stage up so that as we read through the Colossians book together, the, the epistle or the letter, you have a better understanding of what is going on and why Paul wrote the letter, as I keep mentioning, and how the Holy Spirit anticipated some of the challenges that New Promise Church and every single church in America is going through today in 2023. It's amazing how much of Colossians will speak to what we're going through today. It's, it's crazy, but that's the, the, the Bible is like that. All of scripture is beneficial uh, to us, but we're gonna see some really special things that uh, we get to pull out of Colossians that will help us. Well, we know from the text that Paul never visited Colossus, but that he heard about this church that was growing and was so encouraged by what he heard about the Colossians and their faith that he wrote them a letter. That's what we will be studying. In fact, Paul was in Rome in prison when he wrote to them. Now imagine encouraging someone when you yourself are in chains in a Roman prison. He was in chains in Rome and he was trying to encourage the folks in Colossians, or in Colossus. Well, we can see on the map right there that 
you can see where Colossus is located. And of course, that was in Paul's day. It's, it's not called that today. It's not there today. But this will be important for reasons that will soon become clear. The, the Colossus, even though the, the, the point is, is inland, is actually on the coast. And so it was a coastal town. It was a harbor town. And it was, it was hugely popular for commerce that was coming in and out of that area. It is in modern-day Turkey, uh, a place called Galatia back then. Of course, Turkey did not exist as a, as a country 2,000 years ago. So that is modern-day Turkey. And you can see Jerusalem there at the, the bottom right-hand corner of your screen. That's where Israel is. Damascus, Syria, just up the road. There's Antioch and Tarsus. We're all familiar with many of the stories that come from uh, Antioch and Tarsus. And there's Ephesus, the, the epistle to the Ephesians, for instance. And look, there's Philippi and Thessalon Thessalonica, all epistles written to uh, the Thessalonians and to the Philippians. And oh, look, there's Corinth, the first and second Corinthians. And so there's Collis right in the middle of all of this. Now, interesting to note that at the, the harbor's entrance back in the day, there was a huge, and I do mean huge, phenomenal statue, almost like the Statue of Liberty, at the, the entrance of the harbor. It stood over 100 feet tall. Now you think, oh, 100 feet tall, that's not, wait a minute, this is 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, to build a statue at a harbor's entrance that's 100 feet tall is an impressive feat. In fact, it's in the same class and rank as the Statue of Liberty, almost. But remember, again, it was built in 292 B.C., uh, and it took 12 years, 12 years, only 12 years to build. 12 years to build and became one of the seven wonders of the world at the time. And that's the origin of our English word. Uh, hopefully you're going to get a lot of interesting things, a lot, a lot of interesting tidbits in this introduction. And, and, and it's my hope as a, a professor, taking on a professor or professorial role today. You're not gonna fall asleep on me today. I'm gonna try and make this as interesting as I can. And there will be some things that you'll go, huh, I never knew that. All right, Coloss. That's where we get our English word colossal. Isn't that cool? Because of the statue that was in the harbor and built, and it took them 12 years to build this uh, statue over 100 feet tall, as all of the merchants came in, you could see the statue way out in the ocean before you even saw any land. You saw this little, and that was the statue uh, as they, they came in with their goods on their ship. Now, this statue was obviously not a statue that uh, was 
the kind of statue that, that was God-honoring. In fact, exactly the opposite. The, the statue was to honor one, one of their gods, small g, uh, at the time. So it stands to reason that uh, the Lord took care of that quite well because 50 years after it was built, it was absolutely destroyed by an earthquake in the area. The Lord's not going to let that stand. So, and by the way, that statue was never rebuilt after it came down. They, they said, we're not going to do this again because it'll probably just come down in an earthquake. So it was never rebuilt, uh, but it still is very well known to this day. So one of the great clues to understanding the book of Colossians is not only the proximity to a place called Laodicea, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Laodicea. But we find in Colossians 4.16, when Paul tells the Colossians to swap letters with the Laodiceans so that each letter could be read in the churches in both uh, Coloss and Laodicea. Now, it's not to be confused with the last letter of the churches in Revelation chapter 3, but we need to go there because of the letter swap going on to understand why Paul wrote this letter. So, what does Jesus say about the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3? Turn with me in your Bibles, or if you have your YouVersion app, you can slide right down, you will find it right there. Revelation chapter 3 and verses 15 through 17. Everybody ready? Here we go. I know your deeds. Now he's talking about the church at Laodicea, one of the seven churches that Jesus wrote to through the apostle John when he was on the island of Patmos. I know your deeds that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Let me stop there for a moment. Spit you out of my mouth is an interesting translation. But if you look at the original Greek that was translated to spit you out of my mouth, it's really tempered down. The original Greek basically says, I will vomit you, projectile vomit you out of my mouth. That's what it's really saying. That's bad. That's, that's not a good thing. You say, the church says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Ouch, ouch, wait a second. Now, in all of the seven churches that Jesus wrote to in the book of Revelation, there was something positive to say about each one, and five out of the seven, there was something negative to say. There were only two churches that Jesus never really had anything negative to say about them. The Church of Philadelphia, 
was one of them as a for instance. But this was Laodicea, and this was uh, something that needed correcting for them. So clearly this was a, a church, uh, our message to the church of that day. But the seven letters to the seven churches has another amazing application. And that is taken in order of the seven churches that Jesus gave John in the book of Revelation, taken in order, and they are, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These letters describe with amazing precision the unfolding and subsequent church history that occurred. In fact, let's take a look at it before we go on. Ephesus was the first letter that was written. And if you read the, the, the letter to the Ephesians in the book of Revelation, you will see that perfectly aligns with what was happening in the apostolic period, the early church, from Acts forward until we get to Smyrna. That's the next era. The next era is the period of persecution. And if you think we're persecuted in the world today, you should have seen it right after the persecution began to all of the Christians back in the day, right after the apostolic period. All right, the next one is the church at Pergamos. Now, the name itself has an interesting tie because the name itself means mixed marriage. Pergamos means mixed marriage. And that is the period of time when Christianity mingled with the world and the church became, became paganized. When did that happen? That happened during the rule of Constantine. Constantine made Christianity the religion of the world. But he needed a way to really appease everybody that was following all kinds of other false religions, and he married this with Christianity. Uh, and, and that's very clearly visible in world history. Suddenly it was okay to be Christian, but Constantine started this mixed marriage between the world and Christianity. He made it okay to be a Christian. No longer were you persecuted, but you were now joined with the world system in a way that was not very good. In Thyatira, it was the workspace church, and that was the, the, the rise at the time of the Roman Catholic Church, which was works-based and became more and more works-based until the church of Sardis came around. And the letter to the church of Sardis talks about the Reformation period, salvation by faith and not works. We all know the thesis that was, uh, that was, uh, that was uh, nailed to the church by Luther. 
And that was the start of the Reformation period. Now we come to the Church of Philadelphia. This was a powerful, powerful period of worldwide evangelism that really began in 1800 and almost carried into the very early 1900s. And then we get to Laodicea. Oh boy, this is, this is the period that we find our current worldwide church in. It is a lukewarm church. We can learn from that. We have to remember this as we go into Colossians next week when we start digging into the text, how we can draw the kind of faith that will keep our coffee mug hot, our coffee mug of faith hot. I love that green mug. You know what, I, I probably need one of those little hot plates that will keep steam coming out of the coffee during the series because that's what we're going to try to do. In this lukewarm church, there's a focus on uh, inclusivism, almost like the mixed marriage period. There is this inclusivism which really strays away from spiritual truth. In fact, I just heard a great message. Our family was down in North Canton last night together, and the pastor was preaching on the blood, the blood of Christ. Did you know that there was actually a Bible translation whose authors saying the blood is too offensive. People get turned off by blood. Let's remove the word blood every time it appears in the Old Testament and the New Testament and kind of soften it up and, and replace it with something else. Well, without the blood, there is no remission of sin. I mean, next week we will be taking communion. No, not next week, the week after. We'll be taking communion together. And uh, it points to the, the once and for all uh, salvation opening that Jesus gave us through what? His blood. Of course, all of that was pictured in the Old Testament with all of those blood sacrifices. Can you believe that? that someone wants to take the blood and a lot more out of the Bible because it's offensive. This is the kind of stuff that we're up against today. This lukewarm church. This is sounding very familiar, isn't it? It's because we're seeing this all around us, all around us. Churches that are embracing things that they should not be embracing today. And so we're seeing this lukewarm church that is just coming together with the world saying, let's all just get along. Well, sometimes it doesn't work. The admonition to the Laodiceans doesn't really sound like a great report card at all. Yet, Jesus does not leave them without hope. Let's read on. We're going to read on to, uh, in Revelation chapter 3, in verses 18 to 20. Here he says, I counsel you. Oh, stop. When Jesus counsel you, listen. Listen carefully. You remember the old saying, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens? Well, when Jesus speaks, 
It's time to listen, especially when he's about to counsel you. I counsel you to buy from me, Jesus, gold refined with the, in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and solve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline so be earnest and repent or turn away. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Essentially, we can repent and Jesus will supply what we need to stay hot. Stay hot in this series that we'll be digging into. We should also know that there's another level on which the seven letters to the churches was dictated by Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the other level is admonitory. You see, at the end of every single letter, every single letter, the seven letters that were given to the seven churches, which were not only geographical, at the time we saw the map, but it was also talking to the progression of the Christian church through the millennia. At the end of every single letter, Jesus concludes, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church, no, this is important. This is key. The church is. It's plural. It's plural here. That means that every church in every era, there is a rich admonition available in all of Revelation verse, or chapters both two and three, which where the seven letters are contained. It's one of those hidden treasures, the admonition of the seven churches. We can pull out what we need from each one of those churches, even though the one that, that period we seem to be in seems to be that last period, the Laodicean church. So now let's get back to the overall theme of the book of Colossians. The Apostle Paul sent this very young church, a letter to combat a very strange heresy that had started at the time. And it's a heresy that it would eventually be known as Gnosticism, G-N-O, Gnosticism, which is an interesting word because the word gnosis is the Greek word to know. Well, wouldn't that be a good thing? You would think so. But Gnosticism kind of gets perverted. And let's see what, what this heretical teaching is all about. Again, all of this is gonna help us to understand what the Apostle Paul was up against when he was writing to the Colossians. This heretical group claimed to be in the know it was an elite, or they thought, that they were an elite group 
who had exclusive knowledge of the deep things of God. In other words, if you were not in this elite group, you were not in the know that God was keeping you in the dark. You had to be in this elite group. Gnosticism. That doesn't sound very, very cool, does it? God is very inclusive if you have a heart open to him. He will never exclude you or say you must belong to this group here because they have secret knowledge. That's what Gnosticism was. This, this is what was creeping in the church at the time. And that is amazingly similar to the pretense of many groups today including, but not limited to, things like the New Age movement today. And really, there's nothing new about the New Age movement. It's been going on since Paul was writing this letter to the Colossians way back 2,000 years ago. Now, I have a fun, kind of fun and interesting an almost humorous side note. This is gonna be one of those little takeaways that you can kind of pull away and uh, pay very close attention to this. What about the people you know who say that there is no real way of knowing God or even if God exists? You and I all know someone that say, well, you know, that you know, may be the case you know, God may exist, but we have no real way of knowing. How do we know them? Anybody? Does anybody know the word? That, who said agnostic? Raise your hand. Fantastic. Agnostic. Ag- and there's the word gnosis, to know. Ag meaning without. Without understanding or without the knowledge of knowing or without being able to know. Agnostic. Okay, agnostic means without knowledge. Now, do you ever go to any gathering? We all all have gatherings where sometimes, sometimes, not often, but sometimes maybe religion will come into view and it's almost like the people who are agnostic wear it as a badge of honor. Well, I am agnostic and they will go on and pontificate as to why they are agnostic. Who here has, has ever run into somebody that, that, that say, hey, I'm agnostic and here's why? Any, anybody? Yeah, it, okay, yeah. Well, maybe some of you have, and, and if you have, good for you, because that, that's an interesting thing. But, if you ever run into somebody like that who says, uh, I'm agnostic, I'm about to give you some tools that will not only throw cold water on that, but uh, you'll, you'll have everybody's eyes just going, Bloop! here we go. Do you know what the Latin equivalent of agnostic is? Because, you know, we've, we've got these synonyms uh, that, that are available and uh, that always come out in the Greek and the Hebrew, but in the Greek, pardon me, in the Greek, 
there is an equivalent of the word agnostic. Do you know what that equivalent, and I'm talking equivalent word, it, it essentially means the same thing. So when you say you're agnostic, I mean, it's a, well, you know, whatever, you know, you're without knowledge, it uh, sounds, you know, vanilla, if you will, it sounds very plain. Do you know what the Latin equivalent of agnostic is? Are you ready for this? This is where everybody's eyes will go, boop. Ignoramus. I'm not kidding. The Latin equivalent of agnostic is the very same as saying ignoramus. Now imagine if you were at a party and you were walking around uh, with your club soda or, you know, or ginger ale, whatever it might be. I'm an ignoramus. That doesn't work too well, does it? I think people would be fleeing from you pretty darn fast. That doesn't really work well at social parties. However, you can really put a lot of cold water on it next time ag or agnostic comes up. You'll say, do you know what the Latin equivalent is? You can look it up for yourself. It's, it's available. Ag agnostic also means ignoramus. So Paul deals with this in Colossians very, very directly by focusing on and making the case for Jesus Christ's preeminence. Very important because um, that's where this Gnosticism came in and he was trying to squash that and trying to get people refocused on Jesus Christ's reality and on his preeminence and what he offers the church. Now, other religions and groups may treat Jesus as someone who is prominent. We can think of many of them. They'll, they'll say, oh, Jesus was, was a great teacher. He's a great man, great theologian. But they don't think he's preeminent. Well, Jesus always was. As the Gospel of John says, if you look at the Gospel of John, that the Word of God was God and is God and became flesh. Preeminence. So Paul will deal with this decisively in the book we're about to dive into, line by line, beginning next week. I'm excited about this, I hope you are too because we're gonna be really uh, giving you some tools in order to keep your coffee mug hot, to keep that faith mug just absolutely boiling, not lukewarm. It would, it would be better off cold. At least on a hot summer day, you'll get some refreshment out of it, but has anybody ever taken a sip of lukewarm coffee? Bah! Yuck. Curtis asks, do you like lukewarm coffee, Curtis? No. Is there anybody here that likes lukewarm coffee? Oh. <laughs> there may actually be somebody who likes lukewarm coffee, so I better be careful, but that's not what we're talking about here. Um, it's the kind of lukewarmness. It's almost like taking, did you ever take a sip of something 
that is the exact same temperature as your tongue and you don't even know it's in your mouth and it's like, is, is there anything in my mouth? That's the kind of lukewarm that Jesus was talking about in the book of Revelation where he was not only gonna spit them out of his mouth, remember that he was going to projectile vomit that out of his mouth. It was repulsive. So we're, we're trying to stay away from this repulsive time where the world is, is trying to pull the distinctiveness of our Christian walk away. And they're trying their best, but that's hopefully as we go through Colossians, we're gonna give you the tools to maintain that the heat inside of your coffee mug of faith. Now Colossians will be very clear about the exclusive nature of Jesus and the exclusive path to salvation. I didn't make the rules, Jesus did. There's only one way to the Father, only one way. Oh, there are other ways. No, there's, there's only one way. And it's not that we have special knowledge that is exclusive, we're trying to share that with everybody so that everybody can find the way. The world at large wants to homogenize all of the other schools of spiritual thought. We're starting to see this happen. This is a very dangerous time for the Christian church. The intent may seem benign, let's all get together. It seems benign, it seems, it seems nice but it pulls the power out of the gospel of Jesus Christ when you do that. They're trying to produce world harmony, but they're taking the power of the gospel out. There is great danger in dethroning the preeminent Jesus to something less than God's one and only Son. And the book of Colossians will be pretty clear on this when we start going line by line. By the time we finish this book, hopefully your exclusive faith in the preeminent Jesus will be absolutely firmed up and absolutely unshakable. So if you're on shaky ground right now and, and you don't know how to respond to the world, this is gonna be a great series for you. It'll probably be somewhere in, in the order. We're gonna take it line by line and go through the book of Colossians. And, and by the way, we're gonna get into a little bit of science. One of the reasons I like Colossians is that it actually deals with science. I'm going to blind you with science! As, uh, what was that? I think that was Thomas Dolby back in the 1980s. Blinded me with science! Maybe we'll even play it <laughs> and when we get to some of those scriptures. But all of this is gonna firm up your, your resolve, your faith, and it's going to show you how science and spirituality are, are actually perfectly walking in, in line with each other. Okay, so what are we gonna do? Next week, here's your assignment, you ready? There's an assignment every single week. This is where I put my professorial hat on. I like being, you can call me professor. 
Actually, do you know, in, in my um, college years, 1977 to 1981, I had a college radio show. We had a college radio station, uh, WWLR, and uh, it's still up there in, in northeast Vermont. Uh, so I had a handle. I was, I was better known as the professor. Uh, all, some people call me the good doctor. The good doctor is with you. The professor is with you to take you on a Saturday afternoon here on FM 91.7. So I'm putting on my professorial hat here and telling you that for this week, every single day, whatever you're doing in your Bible study, add to this as a short segment. We're gonna add short segments every week. Once a day, carefully read chapters 1, verses 1 through 14. Keep a notebook handy with you. Scribble some things that come to mind, maybe something that God is telling you about. Uh, And nothing may happen on day 1 or 2. Something may happen on day 3. Or something may happen on day 1. And maybe something else on day 5 or 6. Write it down. But every day, prepare for the segment. And let's all prepare together, because next week, that's exactly what we'll be digging into. Chapters 1 and verses 1 through 14 in the book of Colossians. So I hope this setup has helped you. I hope nobody is asleep, even though I put on a professorial hat today uh, and given you some, some rather humorous points, like what agnostic really means. Uh, and now, now you have something to pull out at uh, a social gathering and uh, watch everybody's eyes just go blink. It's, it's, it's very fun. So we're keeping it hot right here at New Promise Church, and uh, we're going to be in Colossians uh, probably, let's see, we're, we're going to be entering into May, probably in, in, into June. I, I really, really, really hope you're going to get something out of this. I, I'm excited, and I hope because I'm excited, It's doing something in your spirit and heart. We're going to have a good time together. Colossians 1, verses 1 through 14. Every day this week, read it, and uh, expect that God will speak to you, and then we'll get together next week, and we'll start digging in line by line. Uh, I really think that you're going to get something out of it. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you for creating it. Thank you for calling us into it. Thank you for your letters to the churches that we can draw something out of uh, Revelations chapter 2 and 3 and apply it because it has something to do with the letter written to the Colossians. We're so grateful for all of your word, how it admonishes us, how it builds us up, firms us up so that we can stay hot in this time when so many churches are getting way too lukewarm. Let us not ever be a lukewarm church. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Are we singing anymore at the end, or are we dismissing? Oh, we have a video. Oh, let's see. That's good. Okay. See that? you? Your pastor goes on vacation for a week, and he doesn't know which way is left or right. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's all stand and let's all sing and uh, then we'll get ready for fellowship.
Life is worth living just because he lives. Amen? Yeah. He's preeminent. He was, he was with God before he became flesh, and then he dwelt among us, gave his life for us, and now he is raised from the dead and standing or sitting at the right hand of the Father. And because that is the case, yeah, living, living life is definitely worth it. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for your direction. Thank you for admonishing us. Thank you for correcting us, too. Uh, We take that correction 
not as a mean rebuke, but as a, a, as a shepherd would to try to keep his sheep in the right place at the right time and protected, we receive that. And as we dig into the Colossians, help us to see what it is that you have, us, uh, have for us today. Empower us as we go through those doors now, for we know that this is just boot camp, that the real mission field is not in a foreign country, and certainly it could be, but for each and every single one of us, it's out that door as we enter into the mission field. Help us to shine bright as a city on a hill. Help us to be salt in, in a world that lacks seasoning. Help us to bring your gospel to life to those that need it. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we have to move chairs, yes. Yep, we've got to move chairs. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you out there for some refreshment. Looking forward to saying hi to you.